Yeah, now guys, if you, if you think that we're about to talk about Johnny Depp's film, oh. we're, we're we're not. We're not. Just keep Thank, listening. Thankfully, yes, we're not going to talk about. But well, ladies, we are. We actually are going to talk about it a little bit, but we're not, that's not what we're reviewing. Sh- well, sh- TJ, don't tell him that. <laughs> ladies, if you think we're about to talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, then well, yeah, we we will. So keep listening. Okay. This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and by my co-host, Joseph Darnell of Movieology Bank. How are you, Joseph? Hey, TJ, I'm doing great. Good evening. It's good to be back. Yes, I, uh, I'm sitting in front of my Marshall MXL 2001 mic with a brand new preamp, Life is Good. As far as I know, I sound good, much mm, better than last week. Special. Yes, yes, I consider myself very special. Uh, do I sound better, Joseph? Uh, you sound the same. You sound like you're here with me talking on a podcast when you're really hundreds of miles away. I uh, am. So that's a good thing. Yes, yes, it is. Well, Joseph, this week we're trying to keep the show under an hour. That's been the, my goal for the last several episodes, and we've never hit it, and I want to hit it this week, so we need to dive in. Hmm. Okay. All right. right. Well, you did our show outline today. I've hardly been in this show outline. Today's been a weird day, but uh, you wanted to talk about the article I wrote earlier today. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, we we had this really cool bang up article by a guy called uh, T.J. Draper. That's what he goes by. Yeah. And it was on MovieByte.com, and it was all about what box office smash hits we've encountered or major unexpected box office flops we've encountered in 2012. Yeah, well, let me clarify that a little bit. My, my point in writing the article wasn't to highlight the major or the... It, it, but, but it was the ones that I liked or felt were important or that were was interested in. It was well, coincidentally, of, your likes and dislikes kind of go along with the popular vote, the popular opinion, the audience. Yeah, so. which which makes me a little suspect. But hey, I mean, I I can't help my opinion. That that really is my opinion. So mm. no, I yeah, I, I follow you. Well, there. although that's not quite true because I liked Total Recall and uh, nobody else really did. So. That, that hmm. you know, I'm going against the popular vote a little bit there. Yeah, you're in the gross minority about that film. Yeah. But all right, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So here's the beef. The article, which uh, TJ legitimately addressed some very good movies um, and uh, not so hot movies. Uh, the Hunger Games, The Avengers, Pixar's uh, animated The Brave, or Brave, as it was known. Um, the Dark Knight Rises, Total Recall, The Born Legacy. And on our podcast and in the history of Movie Bites website, we've had the chance to talk about a few of these films and a few of them we have not. Right. But what we haven't talked about is how they relate to movie going for the whole year. You know, um, movies are landmarks in my year. Uh, I don't often go to see films apart from having to review them for Movie Bite now. Right. So if I'm. If I'm going to the theater, it's usually something as a landmark in my year and who I'm with. I remember those things. I can say, oh, yeah, such and such event happened before seeing The Hunger Games and or after, you know. So the movies, the movies actually kind of reflect on how I recall the year that went by. Hmm. And, um, and this, this year is no exception. Uh, the what? When was it? Was it April that the Hunger Games came out? I thought it was March. Let's look that up real quick. I must have saw it at the beginning of April, uh, coinciding with my birthday. Let's see. But the Hunger Games. Okay, so real quick, I yep, just wanted 20, to know what twenty third of March. Twenty third of March. Okay, got it. Yeah, I didn't see that opening weekend. To be honest, um, I'm sorry, world at large, but I had not heard of the Hunger Games series before, or at least ways I'd seen their novels in Barnes & Noble, but had no clue what they were about mm. before the movie's marketing came to a head and the movie was in theaters. How about you? Um, a friend of mine, as I, as I indicated in the article, a friend of mine had uh, recommended the, the books to me. This this friend of mine was uh, one of my groomsmen at, uh, a groomsman at my wedding, so... Uh, you know, a pretty close friend, and uh, 
I, I took his recommendation, and the way I consume books now is via audiobook, because I don't have time to read. I mean, to give you a clue, my Instapaper queue probably has about 120 items in it right now of stuff that I really, really, really want to read and just don't have time to anymore. Uh, I just can't read the way I used to. But um, anyway, so I listened to the audiobook versions of The Hunger Games, and I really enjoyed them, especially the first book. The other two books are worthy of listening to. They didn't quite live up to the first one. Uh, I, I thought it was a great... Uh, kind of while while in one sense just great story and and you know it's kind of a story you can get into the other uh, on the other side of the coin you've got this great critique I think of where our modern culture is kind of going even though a lot of the stuff that happens in the capital is over the top and you you would think oh well our society isn't there but you could see how it could get there you know what I'm saying you I mean and I'm sure from you having seen the movie you kind of know what I'm saying it's the same thing. Yeah, no, I I understand. While watching it, I was just kind of dumbfounded by the reaction one of the audience, and I was also surprised by just how, uh, well, it's not metaphorical for our times, but it's definitely a a warning. It is a story that relates a concern for our time. Yeah, and um, I think that that reflect that was. Um, apparent by the reaction of the audience. You know, I keep thinking about the the reaction I heard from the audience while watching um Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. This the you know that was the one with the the Joker in it. Sure. And it, and when while I was watching that film, there was an understanding in the audience that Heath Ledger playing the Joker was really cool. He was funny. And that he was a really dynamic personality as the Joker, that he gave a strong delivery. So, oddly enough, to me, a lot of people were laughing with the Joker Mm. in what he did and what he said and the things he did. And girls were giggling like they had terrible, terrible, uh, you know, just teeny bopper crushes on the guy. And, wow. I, and I was, I was like, really? We're talking about the Joker here. So something was a disconnect where the audience wasn't really transparently acknowledging the problem with the Joker and the threat that he imposes. Hmm. I think that we got a much better appreciation for the seriousness of the Joker um, post the movie. You know, um, in light of just you know generally these uh, terrible. Uh, shootings and and people getting an, an understanding you know there is no joke about it you know you, you may in, uh, appreciate uh, modern action film entertainment that involves um, random killings but it, when it hits us at home in real life it's a big deal you know you got to take this serious right and so by the time that we saw the hunger games um, uh, America was conditioned to a different point. Because the audience had read these stories, because the audience was in there uh, keenly aware. This wasn't this wasn't just um, something like the Truman Show for kids with action scenes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, you can you can make a connection between this film and the Truman Show, but the Truman Show had a lot of humor in it, and even if it were taken more seriously than it already is in that film. This film is not laughable, and yet it's for young people and attracts a lot of young people more so than the adult crowd. I was impressed that that you got the young people to take the movie seriously and acknowledge, you know, wow, this uh, this actually come it hits close to home. Yeah, and you know what's what's notable uh, uh, about this film is the amount of money that it's made. So it obviously has some sort of uh, connection with the audience. I mean, to me, that's what that indicates, that people went and saw it more than once and that people told their friends to go see it. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the article, I had some technical quibbles with the movie, but story-wise, uh, the movie was very faithful to the book in... And not every, not necessarily in every little detail, but in the heart of the book, the the, the heart of the book was in the movie. So, um, yeah, I was I was very happy with it. How did you feel about about the movie yourself, personally? The movie itself, I really enjoyed it. I thought it achieved a lot that young people 
it, it, well, for one, it was a, a much more intelligent movie for a younger audience than we typically see these days out of America. Yes, definitely. And that was that was refreshing. While at the same time, it still maintained some of the same production values. Like, the production values of one of the Twilight movies wasn't all that much different from this one, except that, ultimately, I thought that the direction was better. Yeah, which Twilight movie are you referring to? Just for- um, hmm. To be honest, the Twilight movies are really fairly consistently directed. They aren't consistently stylized. They're not consistently pitched as a... Uh, positive or a negative tone of the film sure but they are fairly consistent amongst themselves as twilight's own little franchise i would agree with you for new moon eclipse and breaking dawn part one we haven't seen breaking dawn part two yet so we don't know i feel like the first movie was quite a bit different in tone and personality and direction uh, and frankly mm. it was bad but that's neither here nor there um but yeah i, I agree with you on that uh, and, and I can see where you're coming from in saying The Hunger Games has a similar feel. Um, I hadn't thought of that before. So, But it, all in all, it has ultimately better acting. It has much oh. more interesting characters. Or should I say their character development on screen is more interesting. And I appreciated yeah. the script. Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. Now, what's interesting, and we really got to move on if we're going to meet our under an hour thing, but what, <laughs> just real quickly, what's interesting is on Amazon.com, uh, the Hunger Games is outsold to Harry Potter. I believe that's for the whole series, the whole Harry Potter series. Is that correct? Let me look at this link again. Uh, it is an interesting tor- story to tell. Of course, you got to remember that while the Harry Potter series was uh, being released, Amazon was not yet as l- a big a deal to you know a lot of shoppers as it is today. It's, this is far true. more popular was, today. Was it 1999 when the first Harry Potter book came out or something like that? It was like about that? then, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in then. there, 98, 99, I think. And yeah, Amazon was not the deal that it is now. So that that could you're right, that could be uh doing something to that as well, but that does say something for the Hunger the the world the Hunger Games. Um, yeah. That yeah, does say something way. that there there's definitely an interest there. I personally uh I don't think it comes as much as I enjoyed the Hunger Games. I don't think it holds a candle to the Harry Potter series, but you know, that's oh, my agreed. opinion. You know. Oh, to be honest, yeah, I oh wow, the the Harry Potter movies leastways were super awesome and every one of the books that I have re- uh, read I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Right. All right, we need to move on. The Avengers. How did you feel about The Avengers? Oh, Joseph? right, right, right. Uh The Avengers uh, top-notch entertainment, but really, um, it was it was special in terms of amusement and fun, and it was really well-crafted as an ensemble story, but at the end of the day, I didn't feel like, gosh, I gotta watch that movie again. A lot of people did feel hmm, that I, way. I, 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 that I, didn't, I, did, I didn't feel that way. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that way. I, I feel like the whole way through, perhaps it's the weakness. The weakness is in the the villain. I often felt like the villains mm. as a whole were kind of they weren't canned, like I said, for a few other movies this year. But in the villain case of Marvel stories, they all kind of struggle with this. But they are just they're sensational and almost like to the point of. Oh, we know you're gonna lose. You know, you're, mm. you're so you're so sensational that it's like you think you're in Shakespeare, and that's the only way you can take your role seriously. So you're playing it over the top because that's the only way you can imagine that this role could possibly be fulfilled by um, a, a complete, um, you know, maniac. You know, so you're just you're just gonna play it over the top. Mm. Um, so I felt like while it was very entertaining that the the heroes were far more convincing in a twist, the heroes played their roles far more convincing than the villain, and that's unusual. Right. If you well, think about super films. Yeah, I mean, in films. my opinion, the Avengers was about the heroes, uh, and and sure, Loki. I, I I felt like he was a fine villain, but it wasn't. The movie wasn't really about him. It was about the heroes, the Avengers coming together. Uh, that that to me was what the Avengers was about, and I I loved it. Hmm. What was your first exposure to Joss Whedon, the director? What did you What did you really 
Did you like your first impression of his stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. My my first uh, exposure to Whedon was with the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which uh, Rachel, my wife, she she started watching. Uh, she'll often find these TV shows and she'll start listening to them and or I'm sorry, she'll start watching them <laughs> and uh, and then she'll you know they'll either be good and capture her interest and she'll say hey you really need to get into this with me or she'll you know move on. Uh, she found it and she enjoyed the first season. It was the first season was short. Uh, it was 13 episodes, but she really enjoyed it. And you could tell that it was low budget, the first season, uh, but that there was story there. There was a creativity behind that, uh, which, as we found out, was Joss Whedon. And so we started kind of watching what he did. But, um, you know, I, I I really enjoyed uh, especially the first three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, and I've, I've watched all of them, but the first three seasons were just superb in terms of story and creativity. And then, of course, uh, Angel, which I would say is as good a series or better than Buffy, which is a spinoff of Buffy. Um, just, you know, you could tell, I could tell that there was a great mind behind that uh, in terms of telling story. And so that was my first exposure to Whedon. How about you? Uh, I, re- <laughs> I avoided the Buffy the Vampire Slayer as, a, uh, as a, I grew up. I just thought, wow, it sounds pretty dumb. But... I've heard a lot of praise for it since then. I'm tempted to give it a try, watch a few episodes just to see if I can get into it. But um, one of these days. But uh, where I discovered the greatness of Joss Whedon was in the the miniseries, Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog. I have not heard of this. What? I'm sorry, I haven't heard of this. Oh, wow. Okay, well, you need to move it up to the very top of your queue. It's going to be important that you, your wife, watch this movie together. Okay, I see from the cover, sorry, from the cover it looks like there's a few, well, there's certainly um, Nathan Fillion, who uh, Joss Whedon likes to use sometimes. Um, Yes. Neil Patrick uh, Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, yes, and I see, is that... uh, Felicia Day. Uh, Felicia Day, yes. That's who yes. I was seeing. Yeah, okay. I, I've got to see it then. If Felicia Day's in it, I've got to see it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Now, uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, what made it kind of stand out above the crowd was, for one, it was comedic all the way through, and it wasn't intended to be. It's it's a parody of superhero stories, but in a much better way than, say, something like these other uh, lame movie parodies of superhero movies but anyway dr horrible this is the central character the villain is considered the good guy in this film and they show how you know he is conceited and everything but what makes him kind of human is well neil patrick harris's brilliant performance sure and he and it's it's a musical and he has a love interest, Felicia Day, and ultimately the the hero, the protagonist, played by Nathan. He, he's such a airhead that, <laughs> and he's he's so he's so profoundly arrogant, hmm. and and it reflects poorly on. It's actually somewhat, uh, you know, it's it's an exaggeration, but yet true of the attitude that um, the heroic figure has taken in Hollywood films. The presumption that they are right simply because they are who the movie is about. Hmm. So uh, Nathan plays up the story like, oh wow, conceited as ever. Yeah, just brilliant acting. If you like him from Castle, oh wow, there's nothing like it when he plays um captain hammer yeah I, I i can imagine that role working for him he he uh, nathan fillion had a really arrogant role in the last few episodes of the buffy series the entire series and then of course he was tapped for firefly and he could be pretty arrogant there as well so <laughs> <laughs> yeah huh yeah because you're right he kind of played a han solo character in firefly i'd forgotten about the han solo quality oh yeah definitely i mean i i have not seen all of firefly yet i've got that on my list to finish watching but um, ultimately though i think that after the avengers i'm sorry to bring it back around to no, our starting point i think that ultimately the avengers sealed it for audiences now on we're going to be paying close attention to anything joss does oh yeah if you weren't already a super fan from something he's already done because so many of his things are remarkable i know of people who fell in love with dollhouse that ultimately never heard of firefly or buffy the vampire slayer or dr horrible yeah and and so now this guy has got us really hooked like worldwide it's it's nuts yeah he's he's been something of a uh uh 
well, how would you say, kind of a well-kept secret or something, and now he's kind of gone public, like it's out there now. <laughs> you know, this yeah, guy knows how right. to do story. You're right. It, it's so. inter- interesting. A gift, not just gifted in terms of direction, but especially gifted in terms of story, which connects directly to his talent as a screenwriter and a director. Yeah. I find he has, for me, at least in my mind, there's two talents that I associate with Joss Whedon, and one is great story, and the other is infusing of appropriate humor into the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I, I really it w- will be interested to hear your thoughts someday on Buffy, after if you've watched a few episodes. Buffy does stuff like this, where a character will, will say something to like, uh, that would never happen, and you cut, and the next thing that's happening is that thing that that character said would never happen. That sort of thing. You know, it's that sort of ironic humor. He, he's just really good at it. Uh, so, hmm. anyway, and it, it's not, yeah, it's, it's just great. Um, so... Yeah, anyway, love the Avengers. Uh I, I yeah, I don't see that uh changing as my as the best film this year in my book. Hmm. Well, you know what? Something very interesting about Joss's Queen uh, I mean a uh, career that I had not known about previously before today was that he was one of the writers of Toy Story, the original Toy Story of nineteen ninety five. Oh, you didn't know that before today? No. Oh. I, in all the videos, all the making ofs I have seen for any Pixar film, I've watched countless hours of footage of John Lasseter talking about the the early years of Pixar and that first film. I had not heard once that he was one of the writers. Hmm. Well, as you pointed out to me uh, earlier today when you read the rough draft for my article, uh, you kind of made it sound like he wrote the whole screenplay he you know he was just an up-and-coming guy then and and whether who knows what his really role was in that but he was one of the writers so what it was still extraordinary because ultimately um well what really stands out to me about his relationship to pixar is how it's really the only credit he has with pixar and yet i mean a lot of people feel strongly that the very first pixar film the original Toy Story was their best, was their strongest. And it is a very strong ensemble story of characters. Oh, you yeah. Know, they, int- they introduced so many characters, but by the end of it, everyone had their favorites. Oh, sure. And, and not all Pixar films after Toy Story introduced ensemble stories, like Whedon is known for. Right, right. That Whedon is definitely really good at the ensemble story, no doubt. So, so I think that I think he deserves some credit for the original Toy Story and how it it set the course for the rest of those three films. Yeah. Um, and now you know what this this is a brilliant segue. I was just about to say that you stole my thunder. Speaking of Pixar, <laughs> we should talk about Brave, which was the next thing I wrote about. And 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 when I said earlier, I wrote this article. I wrote about the movies that I care about. And Brave, though I didn't see it, was one of the ones I care about because I care about Pixar. Uh, and so I haven't seen Brave, but I've heard both negative and positive, but mostly negative about Brave. So you know, t- you, you've seen it. So tell us about it. Yeah, Brave. It Brave is a troubled movie. It is a movie that's really trying to achieve, and it come it becomes. Uh, yeah, you know what it is. As a parent, you you love all your kids, uh, but if you try to step outside of your family, you got to acknowledge there are those kids in any given family that really stand out. They really excel. They're smart. They learn fast. They listen to their parents. They grow right. They learn well. They they're just overachievers. They're born for it. And then there are those kids that, you know, mom and dad has to, you know, teach more, has to coddle more. They, they don't catch on. It takes them years to, uh, to ke- uh, keep up with the, the other, other kids in the family. And it's just the way they're wired. They, it can't be helped to some degree. Coming from the same parents. So it's not that the parents are failing them because they have a track record of just letting down humanity with all these terrible kids. It's just that sometimes not all kids turn out the same. And that is the way I feel about Brave and how it shapes up compared to all the other Pixar films. <laughs> I was wondering quite where, where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a, this is the weakest link. This is the this is the troubled child of Pixar's family. Would, would, that, you, would you say that it's their most troubled film or their worst? It is. You, it is, it uh, the is worst their film? most. It is their worst. Okay. 
Um, and even so, it's a it's a decent family film. It's entertaining, but not much else. Um, it's got some clever special effects. It has a surprisingly, it actually one thing it has going for it is it has a very original story. And I think that's why ultimately Pixar chose to make this film. A lot of people criticize this film because Pixar got off on a rabbit trail where they were trying to uh, please the audience by introducing a strong female role. And I think that that's very likely. I think by the end of producing this film, that that was one of the motivations Pixar had in completing the project. But if you actually think back to what it, what must have been going through John Lasseter's head and the other creatives at Pixar when they were just strategizing the story and devising where they were going to take this, they probably felt very compelled that Brave was ever as strong as any of their other films because it was very creative. Mm. There's really nothing about this story that strikes me it strikes a chord as a spoof of anything a parody of anything else it's not a ripoff of other films and so i thought that they in their thinking they were like hey we've landed something really great we can tell a, a truly original uh, fairy tale and then in the execution it comes out looking like it was a how to train your dragon wannabe mm. for, uh, for the girls in mind and yeah, it just doesn't work. Well, you know, it, it's uh, I, I forgot to mention this the article. Frankly, I would have mentioned it if I had remembered. It kind of had a troubled, uh, rocky road to the big screen. They they fired one of the directors and and got a new director. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, uh, that that was a shame. That's a first at Pixar as well. Yeah, that that, uh, that yeah that strikes me as having a troubled journey to the screen. You know. <laughs> But it, and again, it wasn't so much the story needed to be killed. Um, in the case of Cars, if I remember correctly, they needed to pull the plug on the director for the original Cars as well. And mm. then they got John Lasseter in there, and he devised the rest of the film and took it in a new direction. Uh, but unfortunately, he got into the game with like about a year to spare before it was released. Mm. And in that case... I think it, he, that Cars was a much better film because of Lasseter. He, it seemed to me that he was given a lot of contra- creative control where he could just have free reign and do whatever he wanted once the film was in his hands. Yeah. And I think that of all the, the Pixar films, Cars, the original one, is a close representation of exactly what John Lasseter would, would be able to accomplish w- with a film uninhibited by the rest of the people at Pixar. Like he was, he must've been told Lasseter, we put all faith in you run with it. Uh, You know, save this film. Right. Whereas in this film's case, um, who was the director that took over for the, the director that was kicked out? Do you know? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just saw the story and I don't remember any of the details. I'm thinking that, the the director that filled in wasn't one of the more notable directors of Pixar that that has a great track record, and that too kind of ref- uh, okay. So Brenda Chapman was the woman that started directing, and it was Mark Andrews that probably finished. Mm. And Mark was uh, one of the storyboarders on Cars, and he was. Uh, involved in the television series for the expanded universe of Mr. Incredible. So to give you an idea, this guy, he wasn't like any some any established director who, who took over for the director that was kicked off of the Brave production. Hmm. Okay. I'm sorry, that's neither here nor there. But it just it does reflect on Brave because he was an untested director that was taking over for the director that was kicked off the project. Yeah, and I would certainly hate to judge any of his directorial merits just based on that. You, 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 there's exactly. Just, there's a troubled history to that film, and whatever the film's problems are, I would I would hesitate to place any blame on the director that wound up directing. So, yeah. and and you know the interesting thing is Brave didn't lose any money. You know they made money on Brave. It's just not. Not the box office smash you would have may- maybe expected from Pixar. So, mm-hmm. agreed. Uh, oh, speaking of box office, I'm so sorry. We have to go back. Uh, I-, I meant to mention this in the Avengers. This is just such a mind-boggling number. 
and I have to I have to analyze it again. I'm, I'm looking to see one, two, three. Okay, so one billion four hundred eighty-one million four hundred ninety-five thousand three hundred ninety-one dollars the Avengers has made. Can you believe that number? <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I I just can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, anymore. it's one of those numbers. Like I've gotten now as I've been analyzing movie numbers that I've gotten where I can kind of wrap my head around the millions, right? One billion four hundred and and not just one billion, one billion four hundred eighty one million. Okay, four hundred eighty one million is what you might see uh, as what a film made. <laughs> not yeah. one bi- so so it made that plus a billion. <laughs> just, Dude, I, yeah. okay. Sorry, I had to go it's, back. It, and you're catch right. That. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right, and that. That actually, oh, uh, well, wait a minute. Am I reading the numbers wrong? <gasps> I am. Uh-oh, what did you do? Oh, dude. I thought that I had read how The Dark Knight Rises was already toppling the Avengers. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> Ooh, no. Oh, for comparison, no, no. this is this is a big deal. Wow. Yeah, uh, Dark Knight Rises is a little over half of what? Uh, it, it's more than half, but not a lot of what uh, Avengers has made so far. Yeah, that, that it's basically yeah two two thirds. Um, the Dark Knight Rises worldwide has made what is that eight hundred and ninety eight million three hundred and eighty seven thousand. Which of okay. course, of course, is nothing to sneeze at. No, but it's not. And, and it may very well catch up with the Avengers. It may because it's Avengers has had a lot of, a lot of time, you know, and, and Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. is still out. But uh, I, I doubt at this point that, that Dark Knight Rises will catch it. I just don't. I think don't it think will. it will. I don't nope. think it will. Nope. Nope. Uh, and and since we're here on Dark Knight Rises, let's talk about this. And we got we got to we got to hustle through this. Hustle, hustle. Dark Knight Rises. We've already had a podcast about it, so go listen to that. That'll be in the show notes. Um, yes, it to was that. a great episode. It, it was, was episode a, one. I was very happy. No, that no, was no, no, episode, no. Two. episode two. Yes, there yeah. you go. Um, I was very happy with that. So go listen to that. But just briefly, uh, it was a good film. Uh, it wasn't quite as good as the other two Batman films, in my opinion. I don't remember your opinion, Joseph. Frankly, what was it? Um, I liked it more than The Dark Knight. Oh, that's but right. Less yes, yes. than Batman Begins. Yes. Okay. So, um, I I felt like it was the weakest film. Joseph feels like it's the second strongest film. Mm-hmm. But in any event, even just the fact that I can say my disappointment is compared to the other two films, but it was still a better film than you know. Total Recall or Born Legacy or Brave or or even The Hunger Games, I feel like it was a better film then. I mean, that's a tribute, frankly, to Nolan. Not not a knock against him that he made a poorer film. Um, you know, that that's all I really had to say about that. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it really is a good film. If for no other reason, Bane, I mean, if, even if you have your issues with the whole of the, ser- the movie, I, I was just super dumbfounded by the greatness of the villain Bane. It's very rare that I, I'm sold on a villain like I was with him. Mm. He, 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 he was very strong. He had a certain realism about him that was even more gritty and real than the Joker, for sure. Even as much as they they really made the Joker real more than any Joker has ever been made in, in the past in the history of Batman, Bane had just a little bit more of a realistic grittiness uh, presence that, that really made you cringe when he was on screen or, or just, you know, you, you felt his presence. Yeah, so. I was already a big fan of Tom Hardy from The Inception. Mm-hmm. He played one of the uh, the uh, people who helped out uh, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the dream sequences. And uh, he was the guy who could basically represent anybody else within a dream besides himself. He could he could become another person and trick everyone into believing he was someone else. Yeah, but <laughs> Tom Hardy had a somewhat um what would you say just a uh, you know very very simple role that he just really took he just ran with and did a wonderful job with in that film yeah and and it just proved what great talent he had and then really this is where he super shines i, I i'm going to be watching his film career for a while now yeah, I mean, I, I knew that he was great from, you know, a huge Star Trek fan, but you're right, he really uh, he really is a great actor, I think. And so, yeah, I'm going to be, be interested to see what else he does in the future. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, have a, you have in the outline here, do you uh, think that uh, The Hobbit will overtake The Dark Knight Rises? And, uh, boy, that's a really interesting question. 
I suppose it's possible, I, I put as my response to that in the outline. But, you know, I think it probably will, just because for no other reason than the fact that the, the, the Hobbit is going to be riding on some serious uh, Lord of the Rings momentum. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think that the, the fandom has only swelled since the the release of all of the series on Blu-rays and DVDs, and they've gone through their second release of the entire trilogy, and yeah, um, it's just it's just grown and grown. Um, I, I think that's even if The Hobbit completely stinks. Oh yeah, <laughs> by now that it'll make money. It's a, it's an unstoppable force, right? No matter what they, no, no matter what. Now, if this, and now, if the Hobbit does flop for some reason, maybe they maybe they have a problem with the next movie. But the Hobbit's going to do well. Yeah, <laughs> it's now, just the way it is. Yeah, and, and I sure hope it doesn't become that. But I, I think that it, 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 Peter Jackson is taking a gamble by making it a trilogy. I'm still a bit nervous about that. But I still have good faith in the story, and ultimately, with Peter Jackson's capability as a director even when i wasn't satisfied with um i want to call it donkey kong no uh, king kong uh-huh. <laughs> yeah that uh even though i wasn't ultimately satisfied by that film uh he did a bang up job as a director i don't think it, he it was that the film reflects a shortcoming of his uh his ability it's a reflection of the of the story that it, it, he did everything with that story that he could possibly do and and even then, it's not a remarkable story to tell. In spite of the fact that it's very novel, it's very it's very creative. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I do certainly also have mixed feelings about um, the uh, the Hobbit being a trilogy. Like, um, I'm a big fan. When I watch Lord of the Rings, I watch the extended versions. Like, I feel like I, I, I somehow I watched um, the non extended versions one time. And I felt like stuff was missing. At the same time, I feel like the extended versions of The Lord of the Rings tend to drone on just a bit. Like, I, I wish there was a happy medium, but hmm. I, I would much rather have the extended than the non-extended. So I, I'm kind of torn about that. It's like, you, it sounds like a trilogy is too much, but, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hmm. All right. Well, we need to push through the, uh, the rest of this list if we're going to make it through here. Uh, so we'll just briefly mention, and we actually did... Uh, our last two podcast episodes were on Total Recall and The Born Legacy. So we'll just briefly mention, uh, as a follow-up, just kind of their box office. And uh, Total Recall, I enjoyed the film. Joseph, you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. But uh, the box office agrees with you. Uh, they're not with me on this one. Uh, the Now, oddly enough, you felt like it was a... Um a, a surefire win over the original Total Recall, right? Oh, yeah. Well, well, wouldn't you think, though, too, that it would have done better than the original? What, let's see what the original did, actually, before I say that. Because my impression is that while Total Recall is, you know, probably a better film than, than the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that for whatever reason, his fans outweigh um, with popular opinion that they prefer the older one. Yeah. All right, so so the original Total Recall had a production budget of $65 million. And you got to remember, this is 1990. So uh, what's the production budget on uh, Total Recall 2012 was uh, $125 million. So I don't know how that I, – I, I really don't have a, an idea of how that compares. But it seems to me that that would, might be comparable. What hmm. do you think, Joseph? Yeah, yeah. It's surprising but, how equal they are. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the domestic total uh, – Domestic gross was 119 million 394 thousand for for the original Total Recall, and a worldwide of 261 million. All right, so blows the socks off the new one. I mean, and the new one certainly isn't done, but I don't expect it to go anywhere. Uh, you know, yeah. really, not really. Uh, the new one uh, has thus far made uh, 51 million 755 thousand uh, domestic, and uh, worldwide is 109 million. I mean, hasn't even hasn't even made back its budget. So, uh, yeah, definitely the box office is completely with you on this one, Joseph. Hmm. Um, so then lastly, in the article, uh, we touched upon uh, The Bourne Legacy, and that's what we reviewed last week. And really all I have to say about that was that it was great, but it's unappreciated, and TJ hates it, so, you know, that's that. <laughs> well, the, uh, 
the box office. Oh, I did. Did I know? Oh, there's the budget. I put the budget in the article. 125. It has not made that back yet. Um, so uh, we're still looking at uh, 97 million. I still think that most films are. Uh, wow, their budgets are just too big right now. Well, they are, and I actually posted a link. J.J. Uh, Abrams agrees with you, and uh, I tend to agree too. I think they're spending way too much money on these films. Uh, yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. And but, uh, I, yeah. I just think about how it compares to television shows. You know, they can do a lot with with it seemingly very little for television yeah. compared to uh, feature film standards. And I think that feature films need to learn a thing or two from the budgets of television. It's like television is somehow the junior league. It's the minor league for you know filmmakers. That there they get tra- you know trained, they prove themselves like Joss Whedon that they can do something great with uh, a smaller budget, and then somehow Hollywood excuses themselves to just uh, quadruple their budgets for essentially the same story, and uh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mentioned this when I post when I you know we, when we post links on Movie Byte, we'll usually post our comments. And my comment on J.J. Uh, Abrams' article about movie bu- budgets was uh, Star Trek II, one of my favorite subjects, because uh, I just find this fascinating. Regardless whether you're a Trek guy like me or not, just, just you know, the fact is Trek II is a better movie, and uh, they had a much, much, much lower budget. Uh, the uh, producers basically said, uh, Paramount said, look, take $11 million and make a movie. We, we threw all kinds of money at you for the first film, and it was horrible. Here's $11 million, make a film. And they found so many creative ways to make a good film for $11 million. And I feel like that's what's missing. You know? It's it's like, here, here's all this money, and then nobody... It doesn't force them to think creatively of how they can make a good it, film. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, anyway. Well, let's... Uh, you wanted to touch, Joseph, on The Amazing Spider-Man, which I didn't see basically in protest, because I liked the, the trilogy <laughs> so much that I I, uh, I felt like it was just a slap in the face for them to remake this film. But you go ahead and tell us just how great this movie is. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. The, the, the Amazing Spider-Man is great. TJ's wrong. And we, he needs to watch it. And we'll talk about it as soon as he does. Okay. Very good. So, yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, Blu-ray release or the iTunes release or whatever. And I will watch it and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I don't expect it to be any good. Yeah, well, to, to be honest, the the Amazing Spider-Man is one of the bigger films, and it's definitely worth addressing. And I think that it, you know there is a fatigue point for for general audiences. There's only so many major hit, huge action pop films that they can digest in one season. You know, mm, yeah. and we had we had a number of them. We had three superhero films. Um, at least, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm overlooking a few of the smaller ones, but uh, the the Spider-Man, Batman, and the Avengers, they came out in one summer, and all of them are worth seeing, except that, you know, you only you can only stand so much of this particular genre and movies of this ilk, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't hold it against you for not seeing the film in theaters. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I just want to touch on this briefly, since you mentioned it. Um you know what I think is missing in today's film lineup uh, is a is is a film like uh, A Few Good Men, one of my all time favorite films, and you just don't see films like that that much anymore. I mean, I can't mm. think of any. Can you? No, agreed. Uh, so I, I really wish we we could see more films like that because it's not an action film. I think that's the reason people think they can't make it is because it's not an action film. It is a it's just a great story though, and it's a great film. Great film. If you if you haven't seen it, uh, you need to see A Few Good Men. All right. Well, hey, TJ, you ready to talk about the highlight for this episode? I am. <laughs> We're getting to the highlight 40-some minutes into the show. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> if we edit this, maybe I'll, maybe I'll trim some stuff out and maybe the audience will be going, 40? You're not at 40 yet. But we'll see. We'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. Uh, so we're going to talk about, as we mentioned last week, Willy Wonka. And the reason we're doing this is because uh, we found out, sadly, that uh, Mel Stewart, the director, had just recently passed away. And yes. so it made me immediately think, oh, one of my favorite childhood films, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, now, guys, if you, if you think that we're about to talk about Johnny Depp's film, oh. we're, we're, we're not. We're not. Just keep Thank, listening. Thankfully, yes, we're not going to talk about it. Well, we, are, we actually are going to talk about it a little bit, but we're not, that's not what we're reviewing. <laughs> shh, well, shh, TJ, don't tell them that. <laughs> Ladies, if you think we're about to talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, then, well, yeah, we, we will. So keep listening. Okay. All right. Okay, so, so yeah, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, released on June thirtieth, in nineteen seventy one. 
1971. That was uh, 11 years before I was born. You know, few films from uh, the 70s really have stood the test of time like this film. And and probably, uh, though I don't have any statistical proof on this, but my guess is that if it's a film for kids and families from the 70s, it stands a smaller chance of standing the test of time from mm-hmm. the 70s. Think about the Disney movies that were coming out in the 70s. Um, most people, you know, you've probably seen a handful of them, but you don't like them. You, you, you know, you saw them to pass the time. I'm thinking about the Shaggy Dog. I'm thinking about um, some of these other uh, random live action films they were producing. There was the original um, films like uh, the the original 101 Dalmatians were around that era. Maybe they were in the 60s. Forgive me if they were. But films like the original 101 Dalmatians, the Aristocats, those were family films of the era. It seemed like um, the 60s and 70s were just a vacuum when it came to quality family entertainment. Mm. See, that's funny. I would have said the 80s more so than the 70s and 60s. I would have said the 80s were a horrible time for all films. There are very few films from the 80s that I enjoy. Uh, I agree, with with a few very strong exceptions. But yeah, you're probably right. There are definitely notable exceptions. The worst thing I think about the 80s, though, is I usually just can't get past the music because that was when they were discovering synthesizers. (laughs) And so they thought, well, we'll just score films with synthesizers. Thankfully, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and of course this is the 70s and not the 80s, but it doesn't suffer from a problem with the music at all. Uh, And and I I should note here, I'm not a fan of musicals. I don't like musical films. Uh, And I'm I'm sorry you all may uh, reach through your listening device whether it's an iphone or a computer or whatever and you may choke me if you so desire but i do not like musicals not generally there are some notable exceptions and this is one of them i think one of the reasons that the 71 film gets away with the musical um genre is because as willy wonka talks about repeatedly in the film it's a story of pure imagination Mm -hmm. and it's a his wild deranged fantasy factory you know just said over the top beautiful place yes Uh, and uh considering the times and considering the 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 working conditions that were you know typical for factories of that day um candy factories not an exception It, it, it was a it was a beautiful place like you would really want to work there (laughs) to some to some extent you would really want to be wonka or to be the kid um but because he was such an extraordinarily creative character at least ways when it came to wonka's musical numbers you didn't begrudge it that he would just break into song because it was almost like his character above all others would be the type that would do such a thing that in reality would just break out in the song. In fact, I made that note. I made the note that the music before we get to the factory is a little bit forced, like all musicals are. Like, they're just breaking out into song. What's that? I mean, everybody does that, right? <laughs> like, like Grandpa Joe's been bedridden for 20 years. He's going to jump out of bed and sing. Sure. But, but, when Won- <laughs> but when Wonka breaks out into song, he really do. I mean, it's like he would do that. He really would. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the most delightful part of the film for me is when they, you know, they're in that really small hallway and Wonka opens the door and they all come out into the chocolate room and, mm-hmm. and he starts singing the uh, Pure Imagination song. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is the most delightful moment in the film and the song really works. Uh, and, and you know what? Yes, they're on a soundstage, but you know what? I, I, I noted it somewhere in the back of my head and immediately forgave it and dismissed it. I didn't care. It was just, it's a great part of the film. But probably the moment that everybody remembers in the film the most is where Wonka is walking with his cane. Yes. Oh, that's a, yeah. Oh, and I made a note that right there. I, I made this note. I, I, I and I was watching this and I was t- taking some notes on my iPhone. I made this note. Um, Gene Wilder is the perfect uh, person to play Willy Wonka. I mean, he just nailed it. He really nailed it. Yeah. While we're talking about that, you want to highlight real quick the the overarching nature of Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and Willy Wonka in comparison. Willy oh, Wonka you mean and com- chocolate, comparing and contrasting Factory. this film, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, <sighs> with, with the new film with Dev starring Johnny Depp of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, uh, sure, the new movie is horrible, and the old movie is great. 
There you go. <laughs> no, yeah. um, and, and it's interesting. My wife really likes. She does not like the original uh, Char- uh, Willy Wonka. I was, I was just talking about this randomly with another coworker, and he brought up the Willy Wonka films, and he said, "What is it with women and the the Wonka film with Johnny Depp?" And I said, "You're absolutely right. It's the women that supported that film." That is why that movie made so much money. I guess. I I don't know. I hadn't noticed that before. But my wife liked it. But but to be fair, she was not a fan of the originals. Like, I would watch it and she would like, oh, you're going to watch that? What what is that? I mean, I don't like that film. Uh, And I, whatever. I I love the film. But she really liked, we both watched, we didn't watch it in theater, but we got it on home video. And we both sat down and watched it. And she's just loving it. And I'm sitting here, I'm like... This is stupid. This is dumb. What in the world? I hate this film. What is this? Well, well you know what it is? Is The problem is Tim Burton. The problem yes. with is that Tim Burton has to Tim Burtonize everything he touches. Yes. I know exactly what you're saying. If he touches it, it becomes, it becomes of one ilk. It is of one style. It is of one universe. And uh, uh, it's just a tragedy. I was thinking about this. What if you had Alfred Hitchcock, Steven Spielberg, Joss Whedon, or Christopher Nolan direct The Empire Strikes Back? Hmm. They would have all attempted to portray the story as faithful to its genre its and its franchise as much as possible. You're right, yeah. However, if you let Tim Burton at it... Ugh. He would have Timburtonized it. You're it so have, right. It, it would have just become this. Oh, you you can picture it. With Darth Vader. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> cannot unsee the mental image you just painted. Please get it out of my head. <laughs> and Yoda. Oh and, my goodness. And, uh, the Emperor. You, you're so right. Me. He he really <laughs> he does something to his films, and it's the same in every film. It's almost like every film that he does is somehow in this strange Tim Burton universe. And it's just horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. I, I can't think of any Tim Burton films I like. Well, uh, apparently he does work a lot for modern audiences. I thought this was almost laughable. But for a little comparison, I mean, I think a lot of people know very well the old Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. I think if, I think if you had to um, discuss it with people on the street, they would remember the newer one with Johnny Depp, but they wouldn't remember why. They would not remember any details of the movie. They couldn't remark upon any special scenes. It's not like it really stuck out in their memory. It's it, you know, it, it's just something that oh yeah, that one I saw it. But can you tell me anything in that film that you recall? Well, uh, no, you know. So they remember the old one. They don't really recall the new one unless yeah. they're diehard Johnny Depp fans or Tim Burton fans. But here's the thing. Uh, As far as box office returns, this is just one of those notable, interesting quirks. Uh, The budget was $150 million for the the newer version. Yeah, opening weekend, $56 million in the box offices. That's what they made. So they made made a third back on opening weekend. Mm -hmm. But gross worldwide on that kid's film... It made four hundred and seventy-four thousand. Uh, sorry, four hundred and seventy-four million seven nine hundred and sixty-eight thousand. Excuse me, worldwide. So near, they did well. Ne- near, nearly five hundred million. And uh, yeah, they, yeah, they did well. Yeah, Tim Burton is doing very well for himself by plagiarizing himself yeah, every time by making the same movie over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile. If we go back in time to June 30th, 1971, um, it's interesting that go, if you go that far back, there's really not much data on the uh, the grand opening or anything like that, opening weekend of movies yeah, there isn't. online. Uh, you might be lucky enough to find something if you pulled up a, a uh, an old biography about the director or about one of the other key stars, but otherwise those are... Uh, statistics lost in the annals of movie history. But one thing we do know is that it was um, the original Willy Wonka took about $3 million to make, an estimated $3 million. 
Remember that I said the newer one took 150 million to make. Right. And even even with all of the everything taken into consideration, that's still a huge gap. I mean, even wow, that's huge. That's an example of just how inflated feature films budgets are today. Absolutely. But okay, but the, okay, that aside, we already talked about that. But so that aside, Another another bit of information that's kind of unusual to me is just again how box office returns were for then, how mm-hmm. they, how how a movie would be doing good for their time versus our time, and the Willy Wonka movie everybody's always loved it. I've never heard that it did poorly in the box office in its day. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone talked about how they gasped. At various scenes, when they saw it on the big screen for the first time, seeing the chicken with its head cut off, and uh, you know, just some of the other novelties, seeing the grandpa get out of bed and dance around yeah. <laughs> after you you were certain he was bedridden for the whole film, you know, just yep. uh, lots of unexpected twists. People loved that film, even when it was in theaters. But for that film and its day, it only grossed four million. So it made a million more than its budget. I know. Yeah. That is so earth-shattering compared to what we expect from our movies and their box office results today. Right. And and it, it is interesting. I really don't know anything about box office of the time. I've never heard that it was a flop. Uh, and it did make more. I mean, so, you know, I guess you couldn't call it a flop anyway. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's just such a low figure compared to what we see in box office today. And, and and it's such a such a low figure that it can't just be accounted for with inflation. I mean, it's it's no. a, you're just in a different realm. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's it, it is very interesting. Um, so so no, I wanted to ask you real quick. I know we're running low on time, but what was your first impression of Willy Wonka growing up what, when you saw it? Well, oh boy, it's so hard to have a first impression because I don't remember ever not having remembered this film. I've I've I don't remember a time when I didn't know about this film or hadn't watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's just one of my childhood staples, so I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, to be honest, uh, I, it was not one of the earliest films I ever saw, and not one of the earliest I can recall in my childhood. I saw it later on. Um, when when my parents began to trust me and my older brother so that they would go out on a date night and we would stay home and order some pizza and watch a movie together just as brothers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Willy Wonka was one of the first films we chose to watch on our own that we that we wanted to go we wanted to go out and find and, and see. Well, what was your first impression of Wonka? Uh, I saw it for the first time all the way through, knowing what I was watching when I was about eight years old, hmm. and I was I was just mesmerized. And something that stuck out to me then that doesn't stand out to me as much now is the character of Charlie. I, I he made a profound impression on me. Hmm. When I was a kid, I thought that he was this really captivating personality in that I could really really relate to him. And then some of the adult characters, their humor and what they were saying on so many wavelengths, it went right over my head. Even things that uh Willy Wonka did. I couldn't appreciate it as a kid, but I was observing the kid characters and I was getting so much entertainment value out of just the kids that I loved the film. And now when I watch it, I appreciate it on a completely different level. Oh, I totally get that. Yeah, there's things when I, I, I totally didn't get as a kid that I get now. So it definitely has that appeal. It, it, it definitely has that appeal to all sorts of audiences. Um, and I feel like a lot of good literature or movies are that way, where it has appeal to every different level. And Wonka really does. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it really does. And um, kind of like the success of Mr. Incredible and the Incredibles movie, this is one that really does work in different ways for different age brackets of the audience. Did you have any uh, a list of likes or dislikes you wanted to talk about real quick? Uh, no, not really. Um, ultimately, I just wanted to mention, I, I mean, what can you say? Uh, Willy Wonka, the old one by Mel Stewart is a classic today. Um, Gene oh, Wilder, yeah. outstanding performance, loved the visual effects, the, the special effects. It, they were charming and yet corny, but yet charming for, for even today, by today's standards. 
Yeah. I, I love the campiness. It's one movie that excels at you're laughing with the film in spite of the fact that it's, it, it is still campy today. Oh, yeah. Well, it was but, meant to be. Well, it's kind of, I, I wrote, in preparation for the podcast, I wrote down a little, quick little note. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is one of those fun films that, while not believable in the slightest, is simply delightful. Yeah. yeah no, no, and on that note, the, the delightful factor... I really get a kick out of catching the, my daughter's first impression. She's four years old. She just turned four. Oh, nice. And she was watching the movie with me uh, over the weekend. Oh, very fun. For the first time. First time she's ever seen the film. And so I had a little fun with this. I went over to the Kroger, and I hunted down a Wonka can- uh, candy snack. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I got one of the uh, the ones that's like a, it's a gummy string covered in nerds. That's what they're called. And um, I forget even what the, the candy, this unique piece of candy is called. But it's, it's just like something Wonka could have made. But, it, but on the outside wrapper, it says it's Wonka candy. Hmm. And so I, I, I don't know why I bothered to pick that one up. I could have picked up Snickers, and for all my daughter would have known, it would have been Wonka candy bar. But, um, but yeah, so I took that home, and I said, Reese, we're going we're gonna to eat some of this Wonka candy, and I'm going to show you the movie about Willy Wonka. And so... I really didn't have to explain much of the story to her, and she understood it. She she got what was going on. Yeah, she empathized with Charlie. She understood that these kids are kind of screwed up. The other ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, it was it was one of those nights where a rare occasion where I'm like, okay, it's totally worth letting my child. Stay up a little longer watching the movie all the way through nonstop if she's willing to. I'm going to watch this movie nonstop with her late into the night. And if she falls asleep, oh, well, I guess it kind of reflects a little bit on the movie. Maybe it doesn't work with her as well as it did for me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe it's because she's too young for the film. But I, I kid you not, as soon as the movie was over, she turned, she was sitting on the floor, totally engrossed in the film. She turns around, looks at me, and says, Let's watch it again. <laughs> nice. I was like, I was shocked. I was like, really? Wow. All right. <laughs> like, in the spirit of things, I'm kind of like, my eight-year-old self wants to high-five my four-year-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's interesting, even now as an adult, uh, I when I was watching the film, I, I noted to myself at some point, it's like, wow, you really still, I mean, Mel Stewart really made us go through the disappointment and then again the excitement with Charlie. You know, you really felt the disappointment when when all the when all the golden tickets were gone, but then when the there was there was a, you know, there was a still a golden ticket out there after all and you kind of felt that excitement. I mean, he just he really did a good job despite the fact the film was not meant even to be believable and was not believable. You really did have that sense with him. I mean, it was it's and I remember that always, you know, that even when I was a kid. So it really is a well-made film in that way. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, and you mentioned something. Just we'll talk about it real quick. It, uh, I wrote down. It makes fun of the right people. <laughs> I just I love. <laughs> uh, what do you get when your child is a, or who do you blame when your child is a brat? You know. <laughs> well, duh, the mother and the father. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oompa loompa doompa dee doo. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh, hey, my. you're doing pretty good there, TJ. You have a career you didn't oh, know yes, about. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, oh, that tunnel scene is still creepy and strange, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Uh, wow. Like, you could never get away with chopping off a chicken head today. Oh, that was weird. I, even then, I was like, <laughs> oh, this is weird. <laughs> that was yeah. really strange. <sighs> anyway, yeah, if I were uh, if I were going to review this film today, I would still give it a three and a half or a four star rating. I mean, it's just that good of a film, so... I think it is. Is Gene Wilder, is he still alive? You know, I don't know. Let's find out. Ah, man, I feel like such a a Neanderthal, an ignoramus for for asking that question. He probably overdosed on drugs a long time ago, and I just haven't bothered Uh, to find out. There's no date of death in uh, IMDb. He was born born in 1933. Wow. Known for young Frankenstein, of course. (laughs) I tried to look him up and see if there were any more recent pictures of him on IMDb, and I couldn't find anything recent, so... Oh, you mean like a picture? Uh, yeah, just yeah. something to indicate that he was still alive, or at least ways he grew into an old age. Yeah, so his last like, listing huh. is in 2003 on a TV series, Will and Grace, which I've never heard of. So, uh, 
Yeah, I've heard of I've heard of Will and Grace. So mm-hmm. anyway, well, we are running over. We got to wrap this up, Joseph. <sighs> do, you ha- do you have any final thoughts on uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Uh, if you haven't watched it, you think you need to get a life. You yeah, need to go home. This is uh, watch yeah. the movie. Can't highly recommend it enough. They, they don't make movies like this anymore. It's a great film. Yeah. So, that's, all right. That's all my thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. So uh, we should bring this in for a landing. Where can people uh, keep up with you on the great big World Wide Web? Uh, my website is jivingjackalope.com. Jivingjackalope.com. And I am available on Twitter at Joseph Darnell is my handle. All right. Very good. And uh, I have a website as well, buzzingpixel.com. Uh, also write on moviebyte.com. You and I both write on moviebyte.com. So uh, be sure and visit. We try to update every day of the week, uh, Monday through Friday. We try to put updates on moviebyte.com and bring out the latest news. And I'm also mm-hmm, on Twitter, mm-hmm. TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it. Uh, oh, uh, next week, uh, just so we can give our listeners something to look forward to, uh, we're going to uh, talk about The Hunger Games, since they just released that on uh, Blu-ray and uh, in iTunes, and uh, Movie Bite was not up and going at that time, so we're going to talk about Hunger Games next week. Well, thank you for uh, watching uh, and reviewing uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with me, Joseph. <laughs> You're welcome. I got a kick out of it yet again, so... Yes. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you next week, then. Mm. Have a good one. All right, you too. 